You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Good morning. My name is Jake Hotchkiss. I'm an associate pastor here at Schweitzer. And uh, uh, we have a tradition around here on Easter. I say, Christ is risen, and you say... He is risen indeed. So now if you didn't know that, you can do it with me this time. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Fantastic. I love Easter because it forces us uh, to think about the resurrection, which like oddly is something I think that, that we just kind of forget about. And what's the significance of the resurrection? And is it just this thing that happened or is there real power in it? Of course, I believe there's real power in the resurrection. Um, and, and one of the words... The resurrection carries with it very strongly is the word hope. And so this morning, we are going to talk about that word hope. I have a question for you. What is something that you've hoped for recently? Anyone? A Nintendo Switch. (laughs) His parents are like, man, I know. We've heard that a thousand times. Yes, sir. Good grades. All right. Anyone else? No one else has hoped for anything recently? A Nintendo Switch. Chrissy? I believe that, Justin. A new job. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Someone say pizza. Yeah, no, I get it. Okay. So for me, uh, it was a huge tax return. Any adults here hope for a huge tax return? Yeah. Um, Which leads me to my second question. Have you ever placed your hope in something that didn't deliver? (laughs) And that's my point. Right. Uh, last night, I hoped that I would make some really awesome ribs on the grill. I took six hours, and they just turned out very poorly. And so um, everyone in this room has dealt with disappointment, maybe even despair. We've all had hopes that died in one way or another. And so I'll just list off some that, that come to mind here as I speak. Maybe, um, maybe you haven't yet found your new job, or you didn't get the job you wanted to. Or maybe you didn't make the uh, you know, varsity swim team. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe someone you loved passed away, even harder if they were particularly young. Maybe you had uh, hopes in the church, and it turns out that the church isn't really what you thought it was supposed to be or accomplishing what you thought it was supposed to accomplish. Maybe you had hopes in God uh, doing particular things in your life and you prayed and you prayed and, and you've been let down by people or, or the church or by God. And I, the list could go on, all, all sorts of things that we hope in that don't happen, that don't deliver. This morning, I want to call these things false hopes. They're hopes that did not, will not, and cannot deliver what we want them to. False hopes. And as painful as these false hopes are, they must die. They must die so that we can find where true hope lives. Now, please hear me say, uh, if, for instance, we're speaking of like you um, had hoped in God healing someone you loved and that person, I'm not saying that that person had to die. I'm saying your hope, where, where we place our hope, that has to die. And here's a good way of putting it, actually. I'm stealing a, this quote from Bob's sermon at 940, but it just, it works. C.S. Lewis said, don't let your happiness depend on something you may lose. 
God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Anything else that we hinge our happiness on is bound to let us down. And it's a false hope that has to die. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that. First, we're going to get into Scripture. So Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12 is where we're at. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. So I want to explain to you in order to understand this story a little bit better, what the crucifixion meant to the disciples, and particularly these, these women. Um, the women in this story are visiting the tomb of a man who, in their eyes, personified hope. Jesus was everything they could ever hope for. He was a fulfillment of their, their Jewish faith, Right? And the, the messianic promises that they'd been waiting for for a long time. He was hope that life was, was hugely important. He was hope to them, to these women, that women had a place among men. He was hope that God had a heart and a plan for the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed and the down and the out. And um, he was hope that amidst trials and suffering and injustice and evil and oppression, that, that God would take care of all of that. He was the hope that there was, in fact, a kingdom of God to be entered into and all sorts of other things. In fact, these, these women, um, most of Jesus' disciples, had the idea that Jesus was going like, to establish his kingdom in Israel as the king there and then, and that they would be his, like, his, his inner circle of people, right? So that's, that's kind of what they had in mind. But, and they're thinking, wow, we're going to be at the right and the left hand of, this, of, the, of the, the new king in his eternal kingdom. And so that he was everything they could ever hope for. He was their means to happiness. And when he was crucified, that hope was gone. No one saw that coming. And on this day, they are simply visiting his tomb in order to grieve. That's it. They have no expectations that he's been raised. They're, they're taking spices there, and they're visiting the tomb in order to grieve the loss of their hope that had died. And they set for us a really good example. We need to grieve the death 
of our false hopes. Because grief helps us accept. And this is just a fact, right? We know that we can't just, we can't just shove painful things and loss and disappointment and whatever out of the way and never deal with it without feeling the effects of that later on in life. If we ever want to accept and move on and find a better life, you got to deal with that grief and you got to actually grieve. And it's painful. We can't just pretend like death doesn't happen. And when we fail to accept the death of those hopes, right? When we fail to grieve those things, there are only two possible outcomes. One is that we keep on living as if that hope is still alive. Here's an example. Like one of the greatest cliches I think ever is that money can't buy happiness. It's so cliche, and why is it so cliche? Because it's true. I mean, it's like money can't buy happiness. We know this as an undeniable, eternal truth, and yet I guarantee every single one of us in this room has fallen into or repeatedly falls into the lie that money can buy happiness, right? We live as if that hope that, that, that died in its cliche has still been resurrected and exists and, and might possibly give us happiness, right? I mean, like, every time, every time, I open up my pay stub. I get the email every two weeks and my pay stub opens up. There's a little part of me that just thinks maybe this week it'll be a little bit higher. You know, and, and, and it never is, right? It's always the same because I'm salaried and it's like, <laughs> and every time I get like a letter in the mail, like a card from our realtor a couple weeks ago to say, hey, we're thinking, I just hope there's 10 bucks inside or something, you know, but I'm just like you, just like you. I fall into the trap. I keep living as if that hope, one day that I might be rich and happy because of it, is still possible. And that's largely due to the fact that I just, I don't think I've fully grieved the fact that that's just not true. That's a false hope, and it needs to die. It needs to be crucified, and I just need to go visit that grave and think and reflect and pray on that as long as I need to to get over it so I can move on. You know what I mean? The second thing that, that can happen is that uh, if we place our hope in something that, that is dead, that was false, and our hope is still there, then we keep on living without hope, right? If we had our hope in... in uh, person who passed away or who let us down and, and we've got and, and it just remains there and we never move on and we never grieve the loss then we just where do we place our hope we live life in just utter despair and so the first thing we must do is we must go we must let our hopes die our false hopes and visit that tomb as often as we need to in prayer and reflection and confession every single morning I, I do this to some degree or another, every morning in prayer, when I sit with God, I just reflect on, on the things that have sort of grabbed my heart, on those false hopes that, that, that I live with every day, and one of which is, is materialism and money, consumerism, you know, all of that, and then all sorts of other ones too, pride, and, and I, just, I just let God <laughs> crucify those. Now, I mean, a part of me dies, right? That's a kind of a part of me every morning, and it's just, it's this shifting back my mind and my heart and placing my hope where it should be through confession, through prayer. And once you're ready to start searching 
for a hope elsewhere. Once you've accepted that and you're ready to start searching for a hope elsewhere, go visit the tomb of Jesus. That's the next step. Go visit the tomb of Jesus and see for yourself that it's empty. Friends, I think one of the most important facts of history is the fact that the tomb was empty. There is no getting around this. This is not like some Christian perspective. You ask any reputable historian in the world, and they will tell you the tomb was empty. That is a fact. If it wasn't, then all the people who denied the accounts of Jesus' body being gone could have just presented the body and put the whole Christian myth to bed. The tomb was empty, and that means there's two plausible explanations. Either one, the disciples stole the body. And it's possible. The disciples stole the body, and they lied about it until the very day that they were martyred for their own lies, with zero incentive to do so. I could, I could go down that train forever. You just need to think about this. The second possibility is Jesus truly rose from the grave. And the 500 plus eyewitness accounts that testify to it and the whole history of the church and the rest of scripture and the life of Jesus and mine and yours is, is the evidence that Jesus rose from the grave. And if the story sounds like nonsense to you like it did to these men, to Jesus' own disciples, go visit the tomb for yourself. I'm sorry, I had to do this. My faith does not, uh, I don't have just like this blind faith. All right, I was, I was a self, uh, I considered myself an atheist at one point in my life. And it took me really doing investigating and checking the facts on my own and getting to a point where I realized this is, this is the opposite of nonsense. This is actually very possible, <laughs> God doesn't just ask us to put blind faith in him. There is evidence for this stuff. And so use it. Because if Jesus is alive, if Jesus is alive, he is hope resurrected. He is all that those women thought he was and more. If Jesus is alive, you hear me? He is the healer that can heal your wounds and comfort your soul. Because he's alive, you hear me? If Jesus is alive, he is the righteous judge that will thwart oppression and injustice. If Jesus is alive, he is the crucified God who died for the forgiveness of your sins, now and forever. He's a sacrificial lamb. He's a suffering servant who came to serve you, still serving you. If Jesus is alive, he is the king with the kingdom that you are welcome into with all of its riches. Who cares about money? If Jesus is alive, he is your wonderful boss that gives you meaningful work. He's your Lord. He's your friend. He's your brother that you never had. If he's alive... He is the perfect revelation of God's love for you. This is what Jesus' resurrection means. If he's alive, he is the promise of life after death. I preached this last year, and I don't think I could preach it enough times, but um, did you know that Jesus, in, in Jewish tradition, in Jewish thought, that they believed in a bodily resurrection, that at the end of all times... Um, that, that all of God's people 
all of Israel would be raised up bodily from the grave, right? And so, um, and this was part of his restoration of the earth and heaven. And so when Jesus raised from the grave in his glorified body, this was a sign to them that he was the first of many, which means that your grave and my grave will quite literally be empty just as his tomb was empty. It's not like some, I mean, isn't that just wild? That, I mean, but that is, that is classic Orthodox Christian teaching. That's the Apostles' Creed, the, the bodily resurrection. That's, that's what, wow, that's what the resurrection means. All of creation made new. He is our one true living hope. And let me caution you on this. Believing in the fact that Jesus raised from the dead does not make you a disciple. Jesus is not a fact, right? Facts are dead. Facts facts are not alive. Jesus is a person. He is living. And as the angels told the woman, you will not find the living Jesus among the dead. And so you, gotta, you can go to the tomb and you can see that it's empty, but at some point you got to leave the tomb and you got to leave the facts. You got to go find the living Jesus. I spent five years of my life believing in Jesus factually as an adult, five years of my life and, and much of my childhood believing in the fact that Jesus was the son of God who rose from the dead. And, but it's, who cares if it's just a fact? Who cares? Thank you. No one. If he's alive, man, he's calling you and me into relationship with himself. And to be a Christian and to be a disciple means nothing short of that. Anything else? Don't bother claiming the name Christian or disciple. Where do you find the living Jesus? For me, I'm just going to name, I'm going to name four places that I think are just key in finding living Jesus. And I really want to, um, really want to encourage you today, tomorrow, this coming week, this coming month to pursue these with all your heart. The first is in prayer. If, if God is actually alive and he's not just some fact that he exists or whatever, and if you're in relationship with him, then prayer is not a one-way street. It's not just checking things off the list and saying, I said this because I was supposed to and whatever. It's actually like, it's a conversation we enter into. And I'm telling you firsthand that if you want to know God, talk to him. Talk to him. He said about himself, if you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Talk to him and say, God, help me find you and see what he says. I, can, I cannot even count the amount of times that God has spoken back to me. Sometimes in ways that you'd be like, ah, that was just your own mind, you know, you're crazy or whatever. And other times that, that were, were nothing short of miraculous the way that he's spoken to me. I've seen the face of Jesus, brothers and sisters. I know firsthand that Jesus Christ is alive and well today. Largely through prayer. And sometimes when, when God's praying to me and I'm not even praying, you know, you get what I'm saying? <laughs> like, the second is scripture. Right now I'm in a season of my life where prayer is very difficult. I don't know why. It's been for a few weeks now. It's like, I just, prayer is hard. And I can't, I don't know what to say or how to say it. And, I, and, 
And scripture, the Bible, God has been like my anchor. So I open this up, and it's not just words. It's like the living God speaking to me through these words. You hear me? And when's the last time you, you dusted this off and took it off the shelf, cracked it open, and read it for yourself? Even those of you who come every Sunday, a lot of times, I think I'm, I'm, not, I'm not unaware of the fact that most Christians only get Scripture through the preacher on Sundays. And guys, I mean, that's great. This is part of Christian community. But, but if you really want to know the power of the resurrected Christ in your life, if you want to live with that kind of hope, you've got to crack this book open for yourself and get to know him for yourself. Jesus said in John 5, 39, you look at the scriptures, you think that in them you have eternal life. He's talking to the Pharisees, right? Who just like, and he says, you don't find eternal life in here. It's, it's the scriptures that testify about me. The scriptures are not the point, they're the pointer. They point us to Christ. So approach it that way. Third, public worship. Friends, I, there, there are some of you in here, and this is not a, I'm just gonna throw this out here. you you're what we call creasters. Do you know what that means? This means that, that, that today's Easter and the last time you were here was Christmas Eve. We call you creasters. And I was a creaster for the longest time. But I'm telling you, there is nothing like public worship, like coming and, and singing to God in the community and hearing the word of God read and preached and praying with one another and for one another and just over time being, being grown and, and edified by God himself here in this space. You know? And I feel bad for, for people who only get the, the Christmas Eve message and the Easter message because it's like there's a lot more to the Christian faith than his birth and his resurrection. <laughs> there's so much to God's story besides those two things. And I want you to know it. I want it to be your story. Then the, the last thing here is just Christian community more generally. We need each other. We need each other to nurture each other's faith. You, um, Paul uses the metaphor that the church is what? The the what of Christ? The body of Christ, right? Multiple times in Scripture, we use this metaphor. The church is the body of Christ. That means that, that Christ's primary manifestation of himself on this earth is his church. You want to find the living Christ, you're not going to find him apart from the church. And that just, it goes beyond just public worship. You, you can come to Sunday worship and not be a part of the church. A lot of people do it. But I'm telling you, if Christ is your head and you're not a part of his body, then is he really your head? That makes sense? Friends, I'm telling you, if you, uh, if you just do those four things, start doing those four things. It's simple. Pray every day. Read the scripture every day. Worship every Sunday and build some relationships in the church, your life, your faith will take off. And things will begin to change in your life. Jesus will become more alive than he has ever been, I promise you. The very same thing happened to me. 
And no matter the, the circumstances of your life, no matter how many mistakes you've made or how many times you've been disappointed or how much you've suffered, one thing will always remain, your hope in the resurrected Christ and all the promises he made to you will be yours forever. No one will be able to take that from you. It's the greatest gift. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you for the wonderful gift of hope. I pray for us, um, Lord, that you would you would speak to us. I think so many people have been, um, so many of us have been disappointed at one time or another that we've spoken to you and we haven't heard back. And so I implore you, God, that you begin speaking to us, that you open our ears to hear you. Because the reality is we know you're always speaking to us and we just don't hear you. Open our ears, open our eyes. Draw us into yourself and show us all the power and the glory that is yours in the resurrection. I pray for all here this morning that are disappointed, that are living without hope, that are hurting inside, and that you would just speak a word of hope into their lives. Help us to live like our only hope, our true hope, is really in Christ forever and always. In Jesus' name, amen.